Well, I'm glad to glad to have uh, Pastor Pat with us today. Pat uh, pastors a church in close to Buffalo, New York. Um, has a little snow once in a while in the winter. Yeah, I'll call him once in a while. He'll say, well, yeah, yesterday we had 36 inches of snow. I go, really? Yep, 36 inches. So so we're just, uh, we've been, I don't know, we've been friends quite a while. 28 years? Wow. That's that's almost as long as 50. <laughs> no, we're just glad to have him, have him come and just share with us this morning. So, Pat. Great. I'm live. Well, I am from Buffalo, New York, and I am a good friend of Ron and Mary's. And we've been friends for, I guess, probably 28 years. We started our churches about the same time. I came from actually up near North Ridgeville, moved to Buffalo, and we planted our church there. Started from scratch. And I remember Ron would build a building, and I would build a building. Ron would build a building, I would build a building. And he's one building ahead of me. Actually, he's probably going to be another building ahead of me. So I've got one more building to build. I'm a builder by trade, by the way. That's why Ron and I get along so well. One more building, a giant building. This is going to be a big building. This is going to be a family life center where families can come and children can come. We'll have a gym in it. We're going to move our main sanctuary in there. It's going to be beautiful. All I need is $1.5 million dollars. Any millionaires in here? <laughs> I'm always looking. I'm always asking, by the way. Uh, it never hurts. You never know what God will do. But uh, Ron and Mary and I have been, my wife, Doral, who's here as well, we've been friends for a long, long time. We've been through a lot of things together. And I can't believe, we've, my wife and I have been married for 47 years. Ron is always ahead of me somehow. I want you to think about how long 50 years is. Listen to this. That's a half a century. Doesn't that get you? I mean, a half a century. When I was a kid, like, a half a day was a long time. You know, we had those IBM clocks when I went to school. They always went back once before they went ahead. Do you know which one I'm talking about? They go click, click. It took forever. Well, they've been at this forever. I mean, that's a long 50 years. Praise the Lord. Amen? Isn't that good? 50 years. Well, my wife, Doral's there. Doral, would you stand up? She's not going to like this, but she likes to sit in the corner. Doral, just stand up, say hi. We've got 47 years, three children, and eight grandchildren. Eight grandchildren. No great-grandchildren. 
But uh, Lord willing, uh, we'll live that long to see it. Uh, one of our favorite places to go in all the world is Berlin, Ohio, Amish country. Uh, we, yeah, all right. Uh, we just love it there. The peace in the place is just amazing, isn't it? The Amish country and watching them. And, and I was sitting there early in the morning. We had a cabin. There was a little small lake. And I was sitting there thinking about what was I going to say on Sunday morning. And a song came to my mind and to my heart. Now, my worship team will not let me sing on Sunday morning because I can't carry a tune. But this one's really simple. Frank Sinatra sang it. So I figure if he can sing it, I can sing it, right? Right? You maybe know it. Love and marriage. How many of you know it? Love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage. Let me tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other. Now, all you young people don't know it, so we're going to teach it to you. You ready? Let's sing it again. Everybody sing. Love and marriage, love and marriage, go together like a horse and carriage. Let me tell you, brother, you can't have one, the other. Come on, get that keyboard going. How many of you know the rest of the words? You probably don't know the rest of the words. I looked it up. I asked my wife. She didn't know, and I thought she would know for sure. She didn't know, so I looked it up. Listen to the rest of the words. I tell you this, brother, you can't have one without the other. Love and marriage. It's an institute you can't disparage. Hear that? Ask the local gentry. They will say it's elementary. Try, try to separate them. It's an illusion. Try, try, and you only come to this conclusion. Love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage, and you can't have one without the other. Do you know Campbell's Soup picked up on that? Soup and sandwich soup. I'm serious. And Kellogg's? Fruit and fiber fruit. <laughs> I mean, it just kind of goes, doesn't it? You want to sing that one too? No, we won't sing that one. But Dinah Shore sang it. Lots of famous people. Bing Crosby sang it, and it had a lot of meaning to it. It really did. In fact, the key verse is this. Listen, it's an institute you can't disparage. Now, I didn't know what the word disparage meant, so I looked it up. How many of you know what it means? You all know what it means. You're from Ohio. You're smart people. It's an institute that can't disparage. The word disparage means to say has no worth. Has no worth. Isn't that great? 1955, this was written. I can remember growing up. We never heard of divorce. Never. I mean, just, it just didn't happen. It was just the unthinkable thing. And, and things have changed. Now you have no-fault divorce. makes it really easy. you just got to go online almost, and you can just say it's of no worth. It doesn't mean anything to me. Fifty years. What does that tell you? It means something. Amen? It means something. And this is, they have set a standard in this church and in this place that is rock solid because it's right from the heart of God, isn't it? Because it's His covenant. He established it. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, no, why did that song come into my mind? Well, I'm in Amish country, right? Clip-clop, 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 down the road. What a beautiful sound, isn't it? 
It's the sound of peace. And always looking out the back of the carriage always seems to be a couple of these cutest little kids you've ever seen. And did you ever notice they don't wear shoes? Even in the grocery stores, they don't wear shoes. And they go places together at a pace where they can just have that kind of conversation that has some meaning to it. Do you get the picture? It's a place of great prosperity. You drive down all the roads, the side roads, everywhere you go, there's prosperity. Why? Because they honor the covenant of marriage and because they honor family times. Do you know at 5 or 6 o'clock at night, everything closes? I said to Dora, where's everybody? She said, they went home to dinner. We're driving down the side roads. Where's all the people? Pat, it's 6 o'clock. They're having dinner. And so because of that, you see this prosperity. You see, you see that, that sense of integrity in the area, that sense of wholeness and togetherness. Do you know what I'm saying? When you honor marriage, there's integrity. That's what integrity means. There's integrity. There is a sense of wholeness. There's a sense of togetherness. And overriding all of this, there is great prosperity. Come on, just say amen if you agree with that, okay? Help me out here. There's great prosperity. When you honor that covenant, there's integrity, wholeness, and prosperity. This couple is prosperous. He drove me and showed me the houses and things he owns and the land and all these other things. I'm saying, wow, this guy's prosperous. They're doing well. And their children are prosperous, and their children's children will also be prosperous. Why? Because they honor the covenant. Why? Because it's God's covenant. And when you enter into that covenant, he makes a promise. He says, with that comes a blessing. A blessing. Genesis 1, 28. He created the man and the woman in his image and likeness. And then he gathered them to his heart and he looked at them and he said, God bless them. See what it says? He says, blessed them. He said he blessed them. He said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You see, when you honor marriage, there is great prosperity. Everything in life is built on this covenant. It was the first covenant God established with man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Both were naked and there was no shame in the garden. There was nothing between them. There were no walls, no angry words. And in that place, in the presence of God, together there was great blessing. God blessed them, and he built everything on that covenant. Even today, no matter what we try to do to it, no matter how we try to redefine it, it doesn't change the simple fact that civilization gets its foundation from the covenant of marriage. Come on, amen? This is Ohio. You're all conservative here. I come from New York. Isn't that right? It's the basis of every culture, every society. As marriage goes, so goes the family. As marriage goes, so goes the culture. As marriage goes, so goes the church of Jesus Christ. 
And so where it's honored, there's great blessing. Great blessing. I have a church with a lot of young people that have grown up. After 28 years, they finally matured. Praise the Lord. (laughs) They finally got part of their brain lined up. Something happens. And now they all want to get married. And so they're getting married in record numbers. I love to do weddings. In fact, I always tell people, I'm good at two things in ministry. Weddings and funerals. So if you want to get married, come see me. If you want to die, come see me. Because I do both really well. I love weddings. I do a good wedding, but I do a great funeral. You know why I do a good wedding? Because every time I see a wedding, I see the return of the bridegroom for the bride. I see the coming in of the bride. I see Jesus. I see, I see it in everything. I, I just I love I cry through every wedding. I bawl more than anybody else in the place. And I do a good funeral because the older I get, the closer I get to seeing Jesus face to face. Come on, amen. I'm envious of anybody who gets there before me. I really am. I've come close a few times. I really have. Right on the doorstep, one time I was with a guy. He was in the bed and in the hospital, and I was holding his hand, and I was praying for him. And when I said amen, he went, <sighs> and he died. And I turned to his wife and said, that's the closest I've ever been to Jesus. I could feel his real presence in the room. You know, Jesus said, I come to take you to be with me. So while I'm holding his hand, Jesus is coming to take his other hand and take him to be with him. So I love a good funeral as well. But this is not about a funeral. (laughs) Oh, Ron, this is not about a funeral. Amen. That's what you're supposed to say when I say something like that. Amen. So let's talk about a wedding. i got just a little bit of time. I I like to do a rehearsal. I love rehearsals. Everybody comes in, and and they're like... You know, and the mothers are going, change this, change this, change this. You know what I'm saying? And if you're doing it in a place like this, usually there's a wedding planner person who's saying, how much time is this going to take? And I say, will you stop it? This is, this is like a one-time event. Cool it. Chill out. So my job is to get everybody ready for tomorrow. My job is to be kind of like an anchor in a storm, a windbreak in the whirlwind of what's going on all around them. And they're all going, ah, wedding's coming, the wedding's coming. And to just kind of slow things down and tell them why they're coming here tomorrow. What's about to happen? Because they don't know. They don't know. How many of you knew what you were getting into? (laughs) Well, that made all the men laugh and women too, but... I mean, seriously, they don't know. So so I sit them all down in the front, and I pull up a stool like this. Here, give me that little stool there. And I pull up a stool, and I say, I just say, hi, I'm Pastor Pat. Oh, that's good. I'm the senior pastor here at Crossroads, and I love a good wedding. Two things I do in the world. Two things. One is weddings and funerals. They go, oh, now I got their attention, right? So I begin to ask him questions, and I begin to tell him about what's going on. Why are you coming here tomorrow? Well, that was a dumb question. That's what they're thinking. They don't say that because they respect me because i got gray hair. So they're thinking, what's he think? Well, I said, why are you coming here tomorrow? We're coming here to see a wedding. And I say, 
The reason why you're coming here is to watch and to participate in the establishing of a covenant of marriage between this couple. How many of you know what a covenant is? Uh, not you. The kids. How many, all you old people know what a covenant is because you knew what you were doing when you got married. That was a joke. <laughs> so They're all sitting there saying, do you know what a covenant is? And I know they don't know what a covenant is. So I begin to tell them the story about the establishing of a covenant between two nations. Back in the Old Testament times, they'd gather, and in the valley, they would establish the covenant. On each side of the valley, there would be hills. And people would come from different nations to witness what was about to take place in the valley. So the two representatives from the nation would stand in the valley on both sides. Kind of like a wedding, don't you think? On both sides are sitting the witnesses, observing what's going to take place because what happens in that valley has a direct impact on them. How many of you know that every time you go to a wedding, what happens in that place has a direct impact on you? It has a direct impact on our culture, a direct impact on the church, and a direct impact on the families and friends that are represented there. And that's what I tell them. I said, so there they are in the valley. They bring a bull or something in, and they butcher it right in the valley. And the two covenant representatives stand right in the blood. Blood up to their ankles. And then they lock their arms, and they walk in a figure eight like this. As they locked arms. You know what that's a sign of? Infinity. That's right. That's where that comes from. So they walk in... in in a pattern like this, infinity. Then they stop in the blood and they take off their belts, they exchange their belts saying, my strength is your strength. My life is your life. I got your back. I support you. I'll cover you. And then they take a knife and they they cut their wrist. They cut the top of their, their hand like this. They mingle their blood like this. And then they pick up dirt and they put it on there so that it leaves a nice big scar. That's the sign of the covenant. The sign of the vows that were made. And so I tell the young people about this. Now I got their attention. I said, same thing tomorrow. You're going to have people coming here. They're going to be going over on this side, some on this side, moms and dads over here, moms and dads over here. To do what? To witness the establishing of a covenant. The covenant of marriage. Before the wedding begins, generally speaking, the moms come down and they light a candle up on the altar area. You do that here in Ohio? Okay. Probably in Amish country they do it. Sure, they light the candles. And I look at them and I say, why do the moms light a candle? And one smart kid said, gives them something to do. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a good answer. Why do they light the candles? Matthew 5. Look at Matthew chapter 5. This is really good. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You're the light of the world. A city on the hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. You see that picture? In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. 
That candle, that light, represents the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ that glows bright in your house. Never put a bushel over it. But let it shine out. Why? To give glory to the Father. I always tell young people, listen, your love, your feelings, your goosebumps and all that, that's, that's, that's your stuff. But your covenant, your covenant of marriage is bigger than you. Do you know that? It's not just about you. It's about the next generation. It's about God the Father. It's about giving Him glory. It's about letting the light of the gospel shine out into all the world. It's about opening your doors and letting people see Jesus in you. It's bigger than you. If it becomes all about you, then you'll lose it. I guarantee you, if you go inward and not outward, you will lose it. Now, I don't tell all these young people this. I tell people this when I'm doing counseling. I tell them that. It's not just about you. Do you understand that? When I got married, I thought it was all about me. And my wife thought it was all about her. And her father didn't want her to marry me. And my father didn't want her to marry me. But I'm a good guy. (laughs) And here I am today, 47 years later. A pastor. You've got to be kidding. She married a pet. Well, not back then. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not about you. It's bigger than you. That's why they light the candle. Did you know that? That's why they light the candle. I tell them that. They take the two and make it one. Two can go separate ways, but one can't. If you separate it and it goes each different ways, it goes out. It's extinguished. And so goes the glory of God when you Break that home up. Then I say, well, sometimes the bride has an aisle runner that goes down through. You know the aisle runner? You do that here? Lots of people that do that. They like that aisle runner. Why do they put an aisle runner? Because that signifies that everything that takes place in this place is done on holy ground. We don't butcher bulls anymore. We walk on nice white aisle runners. Praise the Lord for that, right? It's the same idea. It's the same thought behind it. And then the groom comes first into the room. Why does a groom come first? One young lady said, so he doesn't take off (laughs) or change his mind. No, that's not true. Because he's the covenant initiator. Do you know what that means? It means that he probably asked her to marry him. You do that in Ohio? I, I, I think we still do that where we live. It's changing a little bit, but generally that's the way it is. And because he's the covenant initiator, he carries the greater responsibility to keep that covenant together. Men, amen? You're the priest, the prophet, and the king in your home, Scripture says. That's a whole other teaching. Priest, the prophet, and the king. If you're the priest, the prophet, and the king in your home, every Woman, every young lady in your house will feel protected. They'll feel covered. They'll feel treasured. And you will have a strong, strong home and a strong marriage. So he comes in first. Then the bridesmaids come. They all go. I'm trying, you know, the biggest thing for me is to get them to slow down. I say, slow down and smile. You look pretty. I tell them that in rehearsal. And then they come and they're always running. I say, the way you do it today is the way you're going to do it tomorrow. Isn't that right? 
So we practice it until they get it right. This Don't be in a hurry. You're about to introduce the bride. You're the entourage to introduce the bride. So do it with dignity. Girls are going, ah, they like that. You know, all of a sudden they're starting to get a picture of what's going to happen. And then the doors in our church close. We have a long aisle like this. The doors close. And it gets real quiet. And all of a sudden the music changes. That's what I do. But the music changes. And the doors open. And there stands the bride with her father. And I love this part because I'm standing next to the groom and I'm listening. I go, One guy said, is that mine? I said, you better hope so. (laughs) I'll never forget that. Is that mine? He said. (laughs) One guy fainted. I've had lots of experiences. The guy fell right on the ground. I picked him back up. I said, get up here. Don't mess up this wedding. It's a good wedding. I do good weddings. Don't mess it up. So he got back up on his feet. I slapped him around a little bit, and he was okay. I had one bride one time. She came. She started laughing. She She was so nervous, she started laughing. She couldn't stop laughing. I said, okay. Time out. Sit down. Right in the middle of the wedding. She sat right down. I said, all right, when you're done laughing, come on back up. <laughs> what was I going to do? What would you have done? What would you have done, Ron? <laughs> I don't know either. I got lots of stories. I'll tell you a couple more in a minute. So anyway, so the bride and the father start walking down the aisle. They're walking down. And they get up front, and I begin to explain to the father why he's doing what he's doing, why he's bringing the bride down. And I want you to listen to this scripture because I'll bet you you probably never thought about it. In Genesis 2, 22, it talks about Adam didn't have a helper, so God put him into a deep sleep. I like that. Adam, go to sleep. Wives, how many of you know when your husband's in a deep sleep, They make all kinds of racket. It's like they're not even there. They're in another world, right? Well, I believe that Adam was in another world. I don't know what he was dreaming about. I don't know what he was thinking about. But he knew he needed somebody to help him along in life. And while he was sleeping, God took a rib from his side. Took it right out of his side. It says he fashioned for him his perfect helpmate. I like that because that's in Hebrew means that he took time. He saved the best for last. He took a lot of time. I can just picture him fashioning out of this rib the perfect fit, Eve, looking at Adam saying, oh, he's going to like this, a little of this, right? He's, but I don't want his opinion. You just sleep because you don't even know what you need. I know what you need even before you ask. Amen? I say to a bride, how do you find a husband? You don't go shake a bush. Till one falls out, you allow rest to come into your life. And God will take you to that place. Fashioned. And then it says, and then he took her to be with him. You see the picture? And so now you have the father bringing the bride down the aisle. He, the father, is taking her to be with him. You see, what a great honor for the father to bring the bride, to be given away, to be given to the groom. 
What a great honor. I cry every time I see this because I gave away my daughter. And I know how I felt. I raised her. The guy that I gave her to had nothing to do with it. He was sleeping. I was doing all the work. My wife, too, of course. And I gave her to him. One of the most precious things in my life. My daughter. What a great honor. I remember just recently this father came down. He had these long tails on, you know, and his big tall hat like this. And I didn't know that he was going to do this. And I'm watching going, what? That is really cool. He comes down, and, and I explain this thing about honor. And he looks at the young man, and he starts talking, and he's saying this and saying this and saying this and my daughter and this and this. And finally, he looks at her, at the guy, and he goes, so, my hat's off to you, son. And he bows down and gives the daughter. That was so good. Everybody clapped. But that doesn't top it. The one that tops it is I did a wedding in California, in Redding, California. The place is burning right now. It was in a garden, beautiful garden. And the girl was getting married. I knew her from Houghton College. And she was an equestrian. She rode horses. She loved horses. And so I'm in the garden with the groom. And we're waiting for the bride to show up. And all of a sudden we hear this clop, 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 clop. Clap, 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 clap. And around the corner comes this huge black stallion with his bride sitting on it in her white dress. And there's the father to receive her and take her to the groom. I thought, oh, Jesus, you're coming again. You're going to come again. What a picture. What an honor to have that happen. You know, when I do marital counseling, one of the first things I ask a young couple is, what's your situation? And sometimes they say, well, we're living together, this or this or this. And I look at him and I ask him a question. I ask the bride a question, the bride-to-be. I say, talk about your wedding. Okay. Is your father going to walk you down the aisle and give you away? And she says, oh, yeah. And I say, why? You've already given yourself away. Why? And you, young man, you've taken what doesn't belong to you. And you know what happens? They cry, usually. Because usually I cry. Because I know what an honor it is for a father to do that. And they look at me and they say, what do we do? I said, there's no unforgivable sin. Listen to me. It isn't unforgivable. What you do is you go to your father and you go to your mother and you ask them for forgiveness and you stop living together intimately. You separate until the day of your wedding. Well, my father and mother won't understand. I say, I guarantee you they'll understand if you do that. And I said, and then after that, you go to your grandma and your grandpa and you ask for their forgiveness as well. And invariably... They do it because something in their heart says, yes, this is right. And then when those doors open and that father's walking alongside him, you've restored his honor. You've restored your dignity as a woman, as a bride, to be given to this bridegroom. Amen? Come on. Amen? Praise the Lord. Boy, that got you quiet.
It's so true, though, isn't it? It's so true. So they, Father gives away, then they have vows. They say their vows. Sometimes they write their own. Then there's the sign of the covenant. There's the ring. They talk about the rainbow a little bit, about how it says that God promised he'd never flood the earth again. And he said, every time I see, it says, every time I see the rainbow, I will remember my covenant. And I say to them, every time you see the ring, remember your covenant. Every time you say goodbye, hmm? remember the covenant. Remember the words that you spoke here today. Remember your vows and your promises. Sometimes there's a foot washing. I have one next week. They're going to do a foot washing. That's really neat. That's the act of a servant, to kneel down and wash someone's feet. Jesus showed the full extent of his love. He washed his disciples' feet. Sometimes there's a foot washing. Sometimes there's a salt covenant. Then there's a time of blessing, time when we pray over the couple. I remember one wedding. I'm running out of time. I remember one wedding I did. The girl's name was Birdie. That was her real name. She came to Crossroads. She was not a believer. She gave her life to the Lord. Her husband, who lived in Las Vegas, found out about it, had been praying for her for eight years. She'd been married and remarried again, been praying for her for eight years. He called up and said, is it true? Is she a believer? And I said, yes, it's true. He said, I'll be right there. Got on a plane and flew out, reconciled with her, and had a wedding in the church. And all the friends came. All the people that had been praying came. And I said, this is a time of blessing. I want to bless this couple. Anybody want to come and pray for this couple? 150 people got up and came around them to pray for them and to bless them. And that's where we ended the ceremony, right there. So there's a time of blessing. They leave, they go out. Usually, used to be, we used to throw rice. Do you throw rice in this area? No? You know why you don't throw rice? Because it makes the birds blow up and explode. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Excuse me, but that's how I feel about it. Here's the point. You know why you throw rice? Because rice is a seed, and it's a time of saying to the couple, may your seed multiply. Grandmas and grandpas are saying, give me babies, give me babies, right? That's really what it is. It's a time of blessing, throwing of the seed. May the Lord bless your seed and multiply your seed. And they go to the marriage supper, the marriage ceremony. Then they have the cutting of the cake and the toast. You know what that is? That's communion. That's what that is. You know, when we sit with, the, with Jesus, we're going to break bread and drink the cup in the same way at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's what that represents. So I always tell these young people sitting there, I say, do not shove the cake in her face. And all the women said, amen. amen. That's right. This is, an, this is a covenant act. You cut the cake. They feed each other the cake. This is my body. This is my blood. Amen? And then the fun part comes. The consummation of the marriage. You know what that means, right? I don't get into detail on that. That's marital counseling 505. That's something that people do after they get married. In Ohio, right? We do it a lot in Buffalo because it's cold out there. We like to hug each other. In fact, in my church, if you come to my church, we don't shake hands, we hug. I mean, it doesn't lead to anything else, but that's what we do. 
you know that the marriage ceremony is one of the least changed ceremonies in the history of the world. Did you know that? It's almost like one of those same yesterday, today, and forever. What I just described to you is what I do today. And how many of you remember that in your wedding? Sure. Bits and pieces of it, right? It was all there, those bits and pieces. Why is it like that? Because it's God's covenant. (coughs) It's his covenant, and he's protected it over all these years. It's his desire that we enter into it, that we're blessed, that we prosper, that things go well with us in the land. That's the heart of the Father. And the other reason why I think it's unchanged is because there's something in each and every one of you listening to my voice right now that wants it just like it was with Grandma and Grandpa. You want a marriage. You want a family that lasts until death do you part. Am I right? I was diagnosed with stage 4 bladder cancer. Stage 4, not three, but four. That means it got outside my bladder. Very aggressive kind of cancer. It was a death sentence. This was five years ago. Obviously, I'm alive most of the time. I went to Cleveland Clinic, et cetera, et cetera. So one Sunday morning, I'm going to end with this thought pretty quick. One Sunday morning, I announced it to my church, and the most interesting thing happened after the service. Four little girls came up to me about your age. They came up to me, and they were crying. I said, what's the matter, honey? Pastor, you can't die. Who's going to do our weddings? Little girls, think about it. And when they think about it, they want it to last for the rest of their lives. They want to enter into a commitment that goes very, very deep. You know, one of the challenges with a sermon like this is that some of you in here have maybe gone through a divorce or felt the pain of it, terrible pain of it. Some of you may have been raised in a family that was broken, a home that was broken. And you're sitting here thinking, is there hope for me? You know, Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, He was asked to apply the law to a very difficult situation in somebody's life. The Pharisees wanted him to get a little bit of blood, I guess, in the sense. And he said these words. He quoted Isaiah 42.3. Listen, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. Jesus has brought forth justice for us. On the cross of Calvary, he died. He took all of your sins upon himself. And he removed them as far as the east is from the west. That means that all your mistakes, all your screw-ups, all those things that you didn't know, and now you know, God can redeem those things. Do you know that? He's a redeeming God. He's a God of the second chance. And he doesn't crush people. Because they've made a mistake. Instead, he reaches down and he picks them up. He lifts them up. He cleans them off and he restores them and makes all things new again. That's the promise of God's Word for each and every one of us. We've all made mistakes. We've all made 
we all wished we could go back and I think about it sometimes. I could redo it again. I can't. But Scripture says that God can take all things and bring them together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. It all begins by loving Jesus. It all begins by looking at the cross and realizing what He did there for you. That's the, that's the great covenant, the new covenant. That's the covenant that the marriage represents in our lives. But you have to step in and receive Him. You have to step in and say, yes, I desire you to be part of my life. When you do that, He takes and He makes all things new again. He restores you, redeems you. You get one of those, what do they call that thing in golf when you get a do-over? You get a mulligan. That's what you get. You get a mulligan. God gives us mulligans in life. Bow your heads as I pray. I have to close here. Father, I thank you that you're a good God. I thank you that you're a God of restoration, a God of covenant. Thank you for Mary and Ron and what their life represents to each one of us. Father, give them many more years together. And for each and every one of us, restore those relationships that we've let go of. Build our homes, rebuild our homes, and rebuild our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.